my wife and I were obviously traveling last week, and we appreciate uh, you guys being here and holding it down in our place. And heard we had a great service. Uh, Pastor Caleb delivered a powerful word, and so so excited that we can use people in the body of Christ. That this thing is not built around a man. It's not built around us. It's not built around a name. It's just the body of Christ doing what we're called to do in Valdosta. And so we appreciate you being here uh, in our absence. But we are excited to be back. Hello. We're excited to be back and uh, believe in God's going to do some awesome things. Second Corinthians chapter 8. You know, it's so easy sometimes when we're, you know, anything that we do regularly or routinely, we always run a risk of becoming familiar with. Amen. We always, just by human nature, run this risk of familiarity. It just becomes routine. It just becomes what we do. It just becomes, uh, you know, another thing. We can almost do it with our eyes closed, so to speak. Do it with, uh, without even thinking. It just runs through the motions. And um, even in, in church, we can get into this familiarity, uh, even coming every Sunday, coming every Wednesday, hearing the word. We do our three or four songs, and, um, you know, we just always got to be in expectation. You just always got to check yourself on the inside. You always have to be checking on the inside, saying, why am I doing this? I've adopted um, what I believe is one of the most powerful statements from uh, Dr. Miles Monroe. He says, where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. Where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. And we see this in our nation. We see this just in the day-to-day, you abuse the thing where you don't understand. You know, purpose always answers the question, why? Purpose always answers the question, why? Why do I go to church? Why do I have a job? Why am I married? Why do I have kids? And if I don't know the why, then I'll abuse because the purpose holds the original intention for that thing. We, we see guns being abused today because we don't know the purpose for which the gun was made. We see medications abused because we don't know the purpose for which the medication, and when you don't know the purpose, then you use it improperly. Then you design improper expectations, and then when those expectations aren't met, then you end up in disappointment, because disappointment is bred from unmet expectations, and then we end up abusing the system. And so we just always got to be careful in everything that we do. We always just go back to the purpose for it. And uh, here, you know, we've been talking in this series on generosity, and, um, you know, I, I'm not talking so much to the fact that we don't give. I'm, I'm talking to the fact of why we give uh, and, and why is it important for the church to be generous. I want to remind you of a few statements that we made when we opened this thing up. First of all, God showed me this when I was getting into this, that there are three types of people when it comes to money, three types of people in the world when it comes to money. Number one, there are those who have no control. There are those, uh, you know, if they have it, they spend it. They haven't really learned good stewardship, financial principles, um, you know, and that's important for us, guys. Uh, you know, when, when we're dealing with our finances and with our money, and this is something that I want to establish even within this church because we have some individuals in this church that are uh, blessed. They have blessed businesses, and they can speak along these lines just in a natural way uh, of how do we handle finances, how, do we, how can we properly manage and, and take care of of what we know is ultimately God's in the first place. Uh, and so we need to know how to, how to handle money. We don't need to be people that are just wild spenders and just throwing money around and not really, uh, you know, being conscientious that, uh, you know, we, we need to know how to handle finances properly. But then there, there are also those who have self-control. There are those who have self-control. Those are, there are those who have uh, uh, great principles, whether it's from an upbringing where things were tight and so they're just frugal and tight by nature, um, um, or, uh, you know, they've just learned uh, how to handle money properly and how to take care of it, how to invest it and do those different type of things. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's great. But the ones that are ultimately going to receive blessing in their life, and, and the one that I believe that God is wanting us to uh, learn to be, is those who give God control. Those who give God control of their finances. Um, for people with no control and people with self-control, they both run a risk of not giving God control. It's interesting, you know, this, this series, I've taught on finances before, I've taught on money before, I've taught on giving before, but in this series I just kind of 
was taken down a different road. And, and I began to just go through my Bible and look at the people that God uh, uh, introduced in his word that had money or didn't have money. And both of them ran risks. Both, both individuals, uh, I mean, let's, let's talk about the parable of the talents real quick. We've got three individuals. One's given five, one's given two, and one's given one. And the one that was given five and then multiplied it into ten, who is one we would call a faithful steward, that's who Jesus responded and said, this was the one that was faithful. And he said, uh, you know, you will be given a great reward. You know, you were faithful with little, now you'll be made ruler over much were his exact words. Uh, the, you know, he received the blessing. And then the one that had little, well, he took the little and buried it in the ground, right? And uh, received uh, firm rebuke and was cast out uh, into outer darkness. But then, you know, we've also got the story we'll look at later on here this morning um, of the widow woman. That, you know, uh, Jesus is standing at the temple when he's watching what everybody's put in. How many of you know Jesus is still watching what everyone's putting in because he's the Lord? Uh, and he's watching when he, there's a bunch of rich people that go by and they give, and, and they give large amounts. But then he says the one, uh, the widow woman that came and gave the two mites, all that she had, gave out of her poverty, and then he's commending her. And guys, we just have to understand that this thing about generosity is not about how much you give, it's about how you give. It all goes back to the heart, and, and that's... That's what we're trying to mark. That's what we're trying to understand. Because then the other statement that we looked at uh, here at the beginning was uh, uh, that the church ought to be marked, I believe, in the last days, not by what it has, but by what it gives. I believe that the church should be identified not in the accumulation of things and the accumulation of buildings and accumulation of programs and ministries and and look at how much we have set aside in the bank, but that all of that should propel the church to give, to give. Now, the church has to have something before it can give, and this is why we give to the church. Remember, we said this in the beginning. I didn't put it in there, but we said this. Remember, you don't give to the church. You give to God through the church. The church is just the avenue. The church is just the vehicle. Well, what, what does Anchor Faith Church about offer me? They got it all, you know, they, they got it set up. No, you're giving to God. We're never giving to a man. We're never giving to a ministry. We're never giving to an organization. That is simply the vehicle. But you are giving to God. This is an act of giving. And so, you know, I just believe that the church in these last days needs to be identified by its generosity. And not just in money. We can be generous with multiple things. We can be generous with our love. Or we can be stingy with our love. We can be uh, generous with our encouragement, or we can be stingy with our encouragement. We can be generous with our time, or we can be stingy with our time. We can be generous with our serving and giving of our abilities, or we can be stingy. It's not just dealing with finances. So I want to take us back to our original text in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and just read through it again. Uh, This has kind of been where we've camped throughout this series, and just want to continue to hit on this. He says in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. And I love the fact that he identifies that it's only by the grace of God. Know that anything that we do in the kingdom is only by the grace of God. That you can never meet the demand or the requirement on your own. You, you can never be generous on your own. It's by the grace of God. And so we make known to you, we're not just making known to you what the churches of Macedonia did, we're making known to you the grace by which the Macedonians were able to do what they did. See, it's real easy when we start talking about finances, we look at what we have. We look at what we have. Or, on the flip, what we don't have. What I do not have. And and Paul's identifying right out the gate, it's not about what you have or what you don't have, it's about operating in the grace of God upon your life. And so in verse 2, he continues uh, to go on that in a great trial of affliction, they had an abundance of joy. In their deep poverty, they gave rich riches with liberality. 
Isn't that such a contrast? Isn't it such an opposite end of the spectrum? In the midst of great trial of affliction, there was an abundance of joy. And in the midst of deep poverty, they abounded in the riches of their liberality. That they weren't even giving stingy. They weren't even giving and withholding that they were giving freely in the midst of these opportunities. We keep going in uh, verse 3. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, according to their ability, but then even beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Freely willing and imploring, begging, urging us. To receive the gift. Urging us to receive the gift. You need to take this. You've got to have this. You, I need to be a blessing to those churches. Uh, that they would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped. But they first gave themselves to the Lord. And then to us by the will of God. And we urged Titus that as he had begun... So he would also complete this grace in you as well. He's talking to the Corinthian church, but he's kind of pinning them up up against the Macedonian church. and saying, this is what the Macedonian church did, and so now let's see what you will do. But as you abound in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. See, it's good to have... Wisdom and faith and knowledge, it's, it's great for you to be growing spiritually in all those things. But just as you're growing in those things, we need to be growing in our giving as well. We need to be growing in our generosity as well. Sometimes it can be real easy to justify giving of our finances because we give of everything else. Well, you know, I, I, I give of my time. I mean, every time they ask me to serve, I'm there. Uh, I, I, I give uh, 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 of my love. I mean, anytime I see someone hurting, you know, I'm praying for them. I'm caring for them. And, and we use those things sometimes. But now he's saying there's an opportunity now that we need to open up our finances. We need to open up our pocketbook as well is what he's identifying. Let's keep on going here in verse 8. I speak not by commandment. Just so you know, I'm not telling this to you because you have to do it. That's the danger that we can run sometimes in giving is, well, the Bible says to. He asked for 10%. I mean, some of us, you know, we're great at giving the 10%, and and we know the Bible asked for it, God's asked it for it, and that's nothing. I I can give 10%, no problem. But see, when it's only done by commandment and it's done not out of free will, then we have moved outside of how God operates because God only operates by love. God only operates by Doing something because you want to do it out of love, not because you have to do it. Now, how many of you know you, the things you have to do, you begin to hate to do? Anybody understand that principle? I have to do the laundry, so I hate it. I, I have to go to work Monday morning, so I hate it. And so we can get to a point that if I have to give 10%, I can hate giving. If I have to give to that need, I can hate giving to that need. But he says here, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. Paul has no problem saying that I'm testing you by seeing how you'll respond to what they're doing. This is what the Macedonians did. And by identifying to you what their diligence is, now I want to see what you're willing to do. I'm I'm willing to test the sincerity of your love. Because you never love something you wouldn't invest in. You never love something you wouldn't give time to. You never love something you wouldn't participate in. Oh, I love that church, or I love that place, or I love that ministry. But it's tested by in what we give up. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. It's exciting to see that we have the greatest example of generosity that came 2,000 years ago. God is not asking you to do something he hasn't already done. God is not asking you to give up something that he hasn't already given up. And, And God gave up the most valuable, the most precious gift he had. 
He, he didn't give out of his abundance. He gave knowing that if I give this up, I won't have it anymore. I don't have another one laying around. I don't have another son sitting around that I, that I can call. I don't have another, uh, you know, that's why God only gave Abraham one, because he knew when I asked for it, I've got to know that I have all of him. So if I ask for the one and that's all he has and he's willing to give up all that he has, then I have him. God doesn't have you until he has all of you. God wants all. God is an all or none kind of God. All of it. I I mean, I know people that are wealthy. I know people that have lots of money. But the only reason they have it is because God knows if, if I ask for all of it, They'll give it to me. I was listening to a pastor just this, this past week in Texas. Has a large church, one of the largest churches, I think, in the top five largest churches in the nation. But he said the only reason why we're here today and the only reason why I have what I have today is because there was one time God asked for every car that I owned, the houses that I lived in. He asked for uh, every dollar that was in my checking account and my savings account, and I gave it up. They sold their house to the church. The church, in turn, was able to sell the house and give uh, to the poor. They had two vehicles, gave up both vehicles. God is looking for people that will be generous, not just blessing people so they can say, you know, it's real easy to say, look at all that God has given me. It's a lot harder to say, look at all that God has required of me. God is always, you know, as much as I can in this series, I don't want to make it about money. Because it's not about money. We, we, we've preached this too long in our churches. And, and even in the circles I grew up, man, money was a dominant teaching. And, and people love to hear it because they love to hear that if you will give uh, in the offering today, God's going to bless you with the new car. If you give in the offering today, God's going to give you a plane just like he gave me a plane. No, he's not. You don't need a plane. You live, you've lived 10 minutes from where you work. You do not need an airplane. Where are you going so often? I do not need an airplane. Our ministry does not need an airplane. Now, we wouldn't be bad to have just a little small project because it would be nice to get down to St. Augustine in 40 minutes. I'm not going to lie. And, and, and there is an individual in the church in St. Augustine. He is a pilot. And he flies the little prop jets. And, and I think he owns one, doesn't he? I want to say either he owns one or has access to one freely whenever he would like. And, and, and so we're, we're, we're looking at the opportunity. And now, I mean, for us to stay connected with St. Augustine, obviously two-hour drive is not bad. But if we could just get in the plane and just be there in 40, 45 minutes. It's just a thought. But I don't need a plane today. Our ministry does not need a plane. But there are things that our ministry does need. Because this ministry is doing something. I'm not moved by the empty seats today. Number one, I know that there's just people that are just out that, you know, for whatever reason didn't make it this morning. And I pray that we just continue the urgency and continue the desire to be in church every Sunday morning. But I'm going to tell you right now, next Sunday, you do not want to miss next Sunday. If you are connected with this church and this vision in any capacity or desire to do so, you need to be in this room next Sunday. Next Sunday is family day. We're going to have a great service. All the kids are going to be right in here with us. We're just going to have a blast. Church could be fun. Church could be fun. Yesterday, we took our uh, leadership team to Wild Adventures. Why? Because we need to know that ministry can be fun. We took the kids because we don't want our kids growing up hating church because mom and dad were always at church. They always had this meeting. They always had that meeting. We had to get there an hour early. We had to stay an hour late. I mean, I just, I hate church because that's, look what church did to my family. We're not going to have that attitude. Church is fun. This is the greatest thing on the face of the planet. What else would you be doing on a Sunday morning? I'm not saying we don't have busy lives. And, and, and you know, there, there, there's always... As a pastor, I'm always looking at things. I'm looking at things for Wednesday night services. Who says you have to do a service on Wednesday night? Or who says it has to look just like your Sunday morning service? Could we do something and break it up and make small I'm just looking at it. But at the end of the day, I'm not just going to adjust because people are unwilling to make time in their schedules for God. We've just got to make time. 
If you serve in any capacity, we ask you to be here at a certain time. And that's not because we're just slave drivers. We want you here because we want you prepared and ready. You know how it is. If you're somewhere early versus running late, oh, it changes the demeanor. It changes, it changes your whole day. If you're running late to work, your whole day is ruined. But, man, if you're able to stop by uh, Starbucks on the way in, Grab your favorite coffee and sandwich. You get to the parking lot, and you're just waiting on everybody else to arrive. Man, it just feels so good. I got here early today. I got here earlier than I normally do. And, and even Natalie was like, man, you sure are chip. I got here early. It's a lot different than if I'm running in late and trying to run around, get slides done, and you know, get the message prepared and do all, everything at last minute. It changes everything. And it's just because I made a priority. I made a priority. It's just about a priority. And God's doing something here in Valdosta. And so you need to be here next Sunday. We have something special that we want to share. And and I'll tell you right now, it's in the works. It's not a finished thing. It's in the works. But we've got to change our mentality. I love what we've done here. I love what we're seeing. I love what God's doing. But it's, it's bigger than this. It's bigger than this. We've got to get beyond ourselves. And so we're... We've been setting ourselves up for something that I believe God wants to present to us. And so just, just be here. Amen? Hallelujah. Verse 10. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago. But now, verse 11, but now... You also must complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, mind, the difference between a willing mind and a willing hand. That if you have a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has not according to what he does not have. This is where I want to focus today. The title of my message today is When Intentions Become Actions. When Intentions Become Actions. I want to talk about completing. You know, honestly, I believe wholeheartedly that most believers, most believers, I'm not going to say all of them, but most believers have intentions have a desire to do more than what they currently do. I believe that. Not just in church, but just being the church. Not just doing church and going to church, but living as the church. I believe that, that uh, the majority have this within them. I wish I could give more today. I, I wish I could give more than what I'm giving today. I know people uh, right now that, that, that want a pay raise because they know it will increase what they can give. Not increase what they have. Now, I've come across, you know, people that call themselves Christians. It's real hard to call yourself a Christian if you live a stingy lifestyle. Because, see, Christian means that you live according to Christ's likeness. means you live according to the nature of God. And God is the most least stingy person of all. There is nothing God will not give you. There is nothing that God will withhold from you. Sorry, Chase, I used a double negative there. Our English teacher back there is probably cringing. No! There is, there is nothing that God will withhold from you. He says, if you ask in my name, see if I will not do it. Even when he talks about giving, he says, test me in this and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven. Those are some big windows. You might have some big windows in your house, but in heaven, I mean, he's talking about big stuff here. We're talking about a God that walks on streets of gold. But yet he still gave the most valuable thing that he had. See, it's, it's easy to say someone is a giver when they have a lot and they give a little bit. But it's always about what is it in proportion to what you have. And what God gave in proportion to what he had was was everything. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
And so it's, it's difficult to call yourself a Christian if you're stingy. I, I believe the nature of a Christian, the nature of a believer, it ought to be generosity. And again, it takes me back to our original statement. I believe the church ought to be marked by what it gives, not by what it gets, not by what it has. God will bless you if you give, absolutely. But let's focus on being a blessing. All right, we say that all the time. I'm blessed to be a blessing. Let's be the blessing. Usually, even when we make that statement, we have this focus on I'm blessed, dot, 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 to be a blessing. I'm I'm blessed to be a blessing, be a blessing. I want to be a funnel. I want it to come through me. Remember, Pastor Earl used to say this, uh, you know, for years when we were first starting the church, still says it now. Millions of dollars will flow through these hands. Flow through. Flow through. I don't want to just be a well. I want to be a water hose. I don't want to just be something that's just holding on to stuff. I want it to flow out of me. I want it to flow out of Anchor Faith Church, Valdosta. Valdosta needs to know that we're here, not because we have large buildings and lands and properties and large ministries, but because of what we're doing to our communities. I I just heard a story yesterday, I'm sure many of you heard, of uh, an 18-year-old that killed and shot and killed another 18-year-old right here in in this county. I don't remember the whole, all the details, um, but right here. I mean, this is stuff you read about on the news or hear about, you know, watch on TV. That's happened far away, not in your own community, in Valdosta. It's happening, folks, right here. This, this town, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just becoming more and more uh, open to the needs that are in this community. Well, we have a couple sitting right here that's attending this church today because we had an opportunity to hook up with a ministry that is feeding children in low-income uh, neighborhoods that, that's sending sack lunches to them, bag lunches. In here, in la- we don't have to drive very far, guys. It's right down the road. It's happening here. How can we meet that need? But it's because we have faithful participators in the church. Faithful participators. You know, nothing's free. There's a cost for everything. It may be free to you, but somebody paid for it. Somebody paid the cost. I I work in a pharmacy, and a pharmacist gave a prescription to an individual, and he said, all right, here it is. There's no charge. And he goes, oh, it's free? And he goes, no, it's not free. I just said there's no charge. Somebody paid for you to get this at no charge. And see, sometimes we forget that. I mean, the things that we're putting in those bags and the brown bags and the, the bottled water, and we use this facility. And so somebody paid to... Keep the air on and be able to turn the lights on and be able to turn that key so we can get in the door. Amen. Generosity. It's because people are generous. Because people think beyond themselves and said, you know what, I, I, I eat three, at least three, square meals a day. If you limit yourself to three, good for you. I'm not in that category. And so I can give somebody else a lunch that has gone all day without eating. I can do that. I can think beyond myself. Amen. So I want to talk about how do we get these intentions into action? How do we put our intentions into action? How do we do that which we want to do? We, we, we said this before, and... Paul addresses it here in this chapter. If you only see your deficiency, you'll never see God's sufficiency. If we only see what we don't have, we'll never see what we do have. God used rich people and God used poor people in the Bible. We read two weeks ago, read the story where 
Jesus has a multitude of people, at least fifteen to 20,000 people listening to him to preach. Uh, the day began to wear away. That's how long he went. I promise I won't preach until the day begins to wear away. Uh, but uh, that's how long he was preaching and ministering. And his disciples come and say, hey, the people are hungry. We, we, we need to feed them. And so Jesus says, all right, you know, feed them. Do it. They had a good intention, right? Great intention. We want to feed all these people. And the disciples even said, I mean, the nearest town is so far away. Uh, even if we went and bought everybody food, it still wouldn't make a difference. It's too far away to go do that. They have the intention in their heart. And Jesus says, well, tell me what you got. God is always wanting to know what you have. He's not interested in what you don't have. That's usually what we tell him, Right? God, I don't have this, and God, I need this, and God, I need that, and, and God, if I had this, and God said, well, what do, you, what do you have? Well, we have five loaves and two fish. And isn't it amazing that what we define as enough and what God defines as enough are two completely different things? So the intentions were there, but they didn't act on what they had, therefore we weren't able to complete the cycle. I desire to feed these people. But all I have is five loaves and two fish. But when we take what we have and give it to God and he blesses it, it becomes so much more. Amen. See, that's, that's where we usually miss it is we don't put it in God's hands. We keep it in our, our hands. What do I have? Well, all I have is 25 bucks. Give it. No, God, you didn't hear me. All I have is 25 bucks. Payday pay is five days away. Okay, I heard you. Give it. God, you're not understanding. <laughs> we have this, this internal talk like we're going to win the argument. And, and, and God is saying, all you have is all I'm asking for. That's all I asked for was 25. No, that's all I have. That's all I'm asking for. I didn't ask for 30. I asked for 25. I know, it, it, it's, a, it's a change in mindset. See, and again, going back to purpose, what's the purpose of money? God didn't invent money, by the way. God wasn't moved by money in the garden, and he's still not moved by money today. He is the provider. He knows how to get it to you. He knows how to get it to you. I remember there was a time my wife and I, we were uh, going through something uh, with one of our first pregnancies, and, and due to all that stuff, uh, you know, I missed a lot of work. She obviously missed a lot of work. And so, you know, we were getting behind on some things. And I go to church, and I, uh, you know, leave church. And later that afternoon, just going through my Bible, find a check for $1,000 in my Bible. God knows how to get you stuff. Now, when he talks about the windows of heaven, what you have to understand is there's not, you know, you know, I was joking about the windows of heaven, but what the windows of heaven really are is you and I. You and I are the windows of heaven. And, and someday uh, there may be a need in your life that you need a window to come and open up God's blessings upon you. But then there's also the flip side where you might need to be the window one day. You might need to be the window. The thing I found out in my life is God doesn't just ask me to bless other people or bless the church or be a blessing when I have all of it. Sometimes he's asked me to be a blessing. Now, there's been times where, you know, there's been a surplus and, hey, we're doing great. Everything's going, everything's going well. And God will say, all right, here's what I want you to do. And again, testing your heart. Are you just going to rely on the finance or are you going to rely on me? But, but then there's other times where... He's asked me to be a blessing, and I'm thinking, I need to be the blessing to myself. I need to bless myself with that. But you just be obedient. I mean, I love how this, I didn't even think about this, kind of ties into my message on Wednesday. If you missed it, you need to get it. We talked about Gideon. We talked about how so many times, for us as believers, we feel like Gideon, where we don't have enough, I'm not enough, I'm not there's, I can't accomplish what you're asking me to do with what I have. 
and, and, and God speaks to Gideon and talks about something that he wasn't currently producing. But we discovered that less is more. And what we found out was that God wasn't asking Gideon to be strong and mighty. God wasn't asking Gideon to, to uh, he, he wasn't pulling on Gideon because of his skill in the military. He was asking for Gideon's obedience. He wasn't asking for Gideon's strength. He wasn't asking for Gideon's skill. He was asking for Gideon's obedience. And many times, the answer to our more is using our less and just being, being obedient to what God says to do. More and more, when we talk about money, you just find out it really just comes down, it just boils down to obedience. He says, I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. Will you be obedient? That which you desire to do in the beginning, will you complete it? Will you finish what you desire to do? I mean, if, if I ask the question, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but if, if I asked you to raise your hand, I know every hand would go up. How many of you wish you could do more? How many of you could meet the needs of this church? How many of you wish that you could meet the needs of the community by meeting the needs of the church and, and being You would raise your hand, absolutely. And it's been acted upon. Every project, we, we've, you realize we've gone no longer than 90 days in this church with any project we've had. I, I don't even know if we ever met 90 days, but I know for sure it never, any project that we had, when the biggest one we had, we were trying to raise, I believe it was $4,000 to finish out our children's classrooms over here. And within three months, we had, I remember there was one specific individual with his probably a little over a thousand left, and the individual just came and said, Hey, how much is left on it? Well, this is where we're at. All right, consider it done. We'll just finish it out. But the entire church participated. It there were people that gave thousands, there were people that threw in a twenty dollar bill. Whatever. But just being generous and seeing beyond ourselves. Again, like he said, according to their ability, and yes, even beyond their ability. Beyond their ability. There's two things we need to know about generosity, and the opposite of generosity is greed. The thing we've got to discover is that greed will always find an excuse, but generosity will always find a way. See, again, it goes back to your heart. It's not about how much. It's about how. And this morning, I'm not here to change what you give. I'm here to change how you give. That's ultimately what God is dealing with in any capacity. God is never impressed with the dollar amount. Never. Not one time can you find in the Bible that God is impressed with the dollar amount. And why should he? He, he walks on streets of gold. What could you possibly give? What could you possibly put in the plate? What, what could you possibly, uh, you know, uh, unload out of your bank account that could match what God has given. In that sense, there will always be a smirk on God's face that says, is that all? Just in the dollar. But he is always impressed with the heart. He told Samuel when, 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 when Samuel was looking for the next king, and, you know, David's got brothers that on the outside, are more capable to produce and be a king. They're stronger. They're better looking. They've, they've got more, uh, you know, knowledge in that area. But we all remember what God told Samuel. Don't look on the outside because man looks on the outside, but I look at the heart. He's always impressed with the heart. He's always impressed with the heart. There's a story of Naaman, and I'm not going to tell the whole story, but over in 2 Kings chapter 5, we'll just kind of bounce around a little bit and look at it. There's a, a man named Naaman. Naaman was a, a noble man. Uh, the Lord helped him. He was a, a high-ranking officer for the king, had many victories, had many battles, but in the midst of all the awesome stuff on the outside, he was struggling with something on the inside. On the inside, he was dealing with a condition called leprosy. 
And so while he's producing all this greatness and all this nobleness and he's in a high-ranking position, he's withering away on the inside, literally, with a condition called leprosy. And so uh, he, he, he hears about the prophet Elisha that God uses to heal from a slave girl that was in his camp. And so, uh, you know, he ends up saying, you know, I, I've got to find this man. I've, I've got to go meet this man. Goes to, goes to the king and says, I, I need your permission to go and see this man. The king lets him go. And here in verse 5 it says this, The king of Syria said, Go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he, Naaman, departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Well, that sounds like a pretty good abundance. I mean, if you know the history, that's a pretty good amount. He, he came ready to give a natural gift. He came ready to give of himself naturally. He came ready to give a large amount, a large dollar amount. But what Naaman was hoping was that he could buy his healing. What he was hoping, see, again, it goes back to your heart. It's not the amount. It's what's on the inside. So he ends up going to this man, Elisha, and this man, Elisha, doesn't even come meet him. He sends out one of his servants and says, here's the command from the prophet. If you'll go over into the river Jordan, you'll go into the Jordan River and you'll dip seven times. You'll come up. And he gets angry. Number one, the man of God hasn't even come out to see me. I came all the way out here. Look at the gifts that I'm bearing. Look at, I'm, look at what I'm willing to give up. But then the prophet quickly realizes you're willing to give up finance, but you're not willing to give up yourself. Where's your heart at? He quickly re- uh, recognizes where his heart at, where his heart is at. He says, man, we got, we got rivers back where I'm from that are way nicer than the Jordan. The Jordan's disgusting. Why in the world would I go dunk in there seven times? Why can't I go back to one of my rivers in my hometown? And he gets upset. Well, eventually, thank God, he gets a change of heart. Because, see, money doesn't buy everything, does it? I mean, we see it in Hollywood every day. These people that have more money than we could even dream of having, more homes and more cars and could do anything they want, go anywhere they want, yet their lives are falling apart. Because money doesn't buy everything. Here in verse uh, 15, Once he's healed, it says, He returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him. And he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except the one in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he, Elisha, refused to take it. Why? Because it wasn't about the money. So for anybody that thinks that God is after your money, he's not after your money. He's after your heart. He's always after your heart. Now, there's another individual, one of uh, uh, Elisha's servants, says, you might not take it, but I'm going to take it. And so Gehazi runs after Naaman and catches up to him. We read about it here in in verse 20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman this Syrian while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him, and he said, Is all well? He said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Indeed, Just now, two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garment. Hmm. So Naaman said, please take two talents. He urged him, bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and handed them to uh, to two of his servants and they carried them on ahead of him. When he came to the citadel, he took them from their hand. He stored them away in the house. Then he let the men go, and they departed. Now he went in and stood before his master. Elisha said to him, where did you go, Gehazi? He said, your servant did not go anywhere. And he said to him, did not my heart go with you 
when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous as white as snow. Greed killed. Greed destroyed. We see here that there was a turn in one man's heart that now he's giving not to receive something. He's giving to be a blessing. And the prophet says, no, I, I don't need it. But then on the flip side, we see a man's heart turned to greed. He says, I got to have it. I need that. Why wouldn't God want to bless me? See, holding on to something that God says is his becomes greed. Uh, God actually identifies it as a sin and says that you are robbing him. Robbing him. Why? You can't rob someone unless you take what belongs to them. We said this when we were talking about tithing. You know, we give 10%. We give 10% because God owns 100. He owns all of it. He lets you keep 90. Sounds like a pretty good bargain. Sounds like a pretty good deal. But at any time, he can require all of it. And again, God doesn't take from you so you can have less. And honestly, let me just let me rephrase that because God does, God never takes anything. God never takes anything. I I probably I, I don't know if I say this, uh, but I'll make sure not to say it. But you know we we hear pastors say, all right, we're going to take up the offering. Well, you can't take up the offering, but I, I will give you an opportunity to give. I'll give you an opportunity to give because ultimately it's on you. God never takes anything. God doesn't take anything. You always offer it willingly, voluntarily, because that's where he finds your heart. There's nothing we do in the kingdom of God by force because love doesn't operate by force. Love never operates by force. Love always operates by choice. It's what we choose to do. It's what we choose to give. This world is this word here is laid with so many promises, so many principles, so many things that if we just live by them, I mean, God was just constantly trying to remind His people: if you will just follow My commandments, if you will just heed My commandments, if you will do, if you will follow the commands that I gave to your forefathers, the blessings will come upon you. Blessings. God is a God of blessing. God is not a God of taking. God, God is not a God of, of putting something on you that you cannot bear. I mean, we know these verses. And so it's always by choice. But greed will always find an excuse not to give. Generosity will always find a way to give. If you have a generous heart, you will find a way to make it happen. I don't have it right now, but I'm going to make I'm something, some way. It's coming out. Because that's generosity. Look over here in um, Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. You realize that people that have little finance and people that have a lot of finance, we, they, they both really run the same risk. They both run a risk of placing an improper expectation on finance. The one with no money can say, if I just had this, I could do this. But then the one with all the money can place all their hope and all, all their future on what's in the bank account. And if the bank account is diminished, they lose everything. Their investments. I mean, it's amazing how people can be moved by money so easily. But Jesus said it himself. It can become a God. You can't serve God and money. 
at the same time. I believe that God doesn't just want us to discover how to work for money. I think he wants us to discover how can we make money work for us. How, how can we handle it properly so that it becomes beneficial to us? Because honestly, there's, there's been times in my life where I just, I hate it. I hate the conversations of money. I hate talking about what we need. I hate talking about what it takes to do this and it takes to do that. I hate those things. But I've, I've had to learn to change my heart in that. Because God doesn't want me to hate money. God wants me to learn how to utilize money for the kingdom and for his glory. What does that look like? Luke chapter 21. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. And he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all. I'm telling you, God's definition of enough and your definition of enough are two completely different things. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood she had. Out of their abundance they gave. That means that they had some left over. Remember, we're talking about proportion. That's why it's a percentage amount, not a dollar amount. He doesn't say, all right, everyone that gives $1,000 every week, then, you know, that's your tithe. Because for some people, $1,000 a week would be impossible. For a lot of people, $1,000 a week would be impossible. But we can all do 10%. If you make a dollar, you give a dime. If you make a thousand, you give a hundred. If you make 10,000, you give a thousand. Pretty simple math. I mean, even I can do that, and I'm not the great. Greatest at math. In fact, I don't like math at all. But I can do 10%. I can do 10%. Pretty simple. But he's identifying. Look at this in the New Living Translation. The New Living says, While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people drop in their gifts in the collection box. Verse 2. A poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. She didn't even drop in two large coins. She dropped in. I mean, we're just we're minimizing it as much as we can. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, the poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. Everything she has. How do we get from intentions to action? How do we get from intentions to actions? How, how do we get what's in our heart to come out? I honestly believe that it is directly dependent upon the proportion of what you give versus what you have. You can give a lot of money and still not be generous. Right? You, I mean, it, it's not about the dollar. It's not about the finance. It's not about the amount. It's about what's in your heart. Are we being obedient to God? And are we giving according to our ability and sometimes even beyond our ability. I believe that God wants us to be blessed. I believe that God wants his church to be blessed, and we preach that. We preach prosperity. Prosperity doesn't mean that everybody owns, you know, 